One little word that I want to point out and talk about today is an incredibly powerful word. It's the first blank in your study notes. The word is with. W-I-T-H. With is an incredibly powerful word. It's a tipping point word. It's a word that changes things. It's a word that that defines a relationship between two things, two words, two people. With is a connecting kind of word that is an incredibly powerful word. When you say the word with, a bond is created. It changes things fundamentally. When you say, he's with me, it means something. When you say, she's with child. When you say, come with us. The word with is an incredibly powerful word. It's a tipping point word. It changes things. It's what we call, for the grammarians among us, a preposition. A preposition preposition is a word that defines the relationship between two words or clauses, phrases. It's, it's a connecting word from this over here to this over here. It means it's a bridging word. And it's a word for us that connects concepts and people together. We know, for example, that it's one thing to say, oh, I love you. It's one thing to say, I like that. It's one thing to to verbally say those things, but it's another thing entirely to be with someone, to say, I love you and I want to be with you, fully with you for the rest of my life. When you like somebody, you know, you you want to be with them. You, You hold hands, you... You ogle at each other in the eyes and you, you smile at one another and, and you eat together and then you study together in college. Well, you study together in college. And then she says, you're going to be with me for the rest of my life. And you just nod your head and you say, yes, ma'am, I would love to. No, <laughs> that is not how it happened for us. I mean, not, not entirely how it happened for us. <clears throat> When you take vows in your marriage, you say for richer, for poorer, for sickness and health, you will be with that person, fully with that person, two becoming one. With is a powerful word. It's why at Christmas, and this is the next blank in your study notes there, it's why at Christmas we use the word Emmanuel to describe Jesus. You can use an I or an E for that word Emmanuel. It just means God with us. That's why we name him that, because it's the concept that almighty, perfect, infinite God has come to be with us, to be with us. He could have been apart from us. He could have stayed apart from us, justifiably living in his reign, in his kingdom, where he is now in the heavens and the earth and never come to know us. And he would be justified in that entirely. But he didn't choose to stay apart. He chose to be with. That's why we talk about Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. Because in the flesh, and that's that next fancy word there. It's on your study notes. Incarnation is in flesh. That's what it means to say that Jesus is with us. He's in the flesh. It's God in flesh, embodied to be with us. 
And no, it has nothing to do with flowers. Incarnation is in flesh. <clears throat> but we are people. We are in our sin people who want to be apart. We're really good, in fact, at, at not being with and, and, and being apart. Because you get some years on you, you experience some sin that you've inflicted on others or others have inflicted on you, and you begin to go through life wanting to be an apart kind of person, an apart person who keeps things at arm's length, who keeps relationships, who keeps hard things, who keeps the hard conversation, who keeps those kinds of things apart, away, not with, not together, but away. We talked about that for six weeks in our relationships series. The problem is that we easily turn into apart people. In any kind of meaningful relationship, when one or both parties uh, become sort of disengaged, uh, dis, uh, disconnected, that's an apart relationship. And, and, and people can coexist under the same roof, live in the same household, be in the same bed, sleeping for decades with one another, and yet still be apart from each other emotionally, apart from each other, and disconnected. We, we all kind of know what it's like to live an apart life. Which is why the truth of God with us is huge. It's huge. Without it, we are all lost forever. Every single one of us, every last one of us, infinitely unable to have a relationship with the perfect, holy, infinite God of the universe. Thankfully, he came to be with us. So look at John 1, and, and we'll kind of see some of where this comes from in Scripture. There's a lot of a lot of scripture that talks about incarnation and God in the flesh, God coming to know us, God, even this word, if you want to look it up and test me, God condescending to be with us. He condescends to be with us. There's a lot of scripture that talks about it, but we do want to just focus here on John 1. And really, we're going to look at the first three verses, the first three verses of John 1 primarily. We'll look up some other places and you can uh, write some things down. But we want to see where this comes from. Look at John 1. Just that first part of that first verse, John 1, 1. John 1, 1, A. In, in verse 1, just for the record, this is an aside. There are three parts, so you could have A, B, and C. In the beginning was the Word, would be A. The Word was with God, B. The Word was God, C. So that's kind of when you see that A, B, and C. We have a lot of people ask about what does that a mean next to it just means the first part so the first part is this in the beginning was the word and this phrase it echoes the very beginning of scriptures in genesis if you remember in genesis 1 1 it says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth so any jew who was reading john 1 1 would hear this and it'd be a trigger they would immediately hear this and go oh this sounds exactly like in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth but john comes along and says in the beginning and he says this was the word in the beginning was the Word. 
So he's kind of redefining, he's, he's giving some more meaning to what happened in Genesis. What he's saying is, I am starting, like, like I'm showing you that history is now defined, not just by God creating in the past, but, but Jesus now, I should do it from this vantage point for you, but Jesus now defining all of history because of his presence to be with us. That's why he says in the beginning was the word. Any Jew would hear that phrase and they would understand that that sounds like the beginning of Genesis. Now, here's, here's one of the amazing things that John is saying when he's saying this. He's saying that Jesus always existed. And that's the next blank for you in your study guide there in the study line, study uh, notes. Jesus, the Word, has always existed. The Word is eternal. The Word is eternal. Now, he's only hinting at the fact at this point in verse 1 that it's Jesus. He makes it more explicit along the way, especially verse 14, where it says that He dwelt, He lived, He tabernacled, tented among us. But for now, he's saying in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he's making these parallel. Now, look at the word, word. Look at the word, word in John 1. In the beginning was the Word. You may want to circle that word, word. That Greek word, there is logos, L-O-G-O-S. You could pronounce it logos, logos. The Greeks of the day, if you, uh, we already talked about the Jews, now we're talking about the Greeks. So the Greeks of the day would have understood this word, this logos, to be the impersonal principle of reason, capital R, that gave order to the universe. I'm going to say that again for those of you who are taking notes. That logos concept, according to the Greeks, was an impersonal an impersonal principle of reason, R-E-A-S-O-N, that gave order to the universe. So to the Greeks of the day, you might say, who created the heavens and the earth? Logos. Who created all of the seas? Logos. Who created the animals and the birds? Logos. Who, who ordered and created all of the, the, the people? The Logos. Who won the Olympics? Michael Phelps. No, Michael Phelps is actually over 2,000 years old. Um, What they would do, strike that from the third. Uh, What they would do is they would order their world according to this idea of reason, capital R. So when a Greek would come along 1-1, they would say, in the beginning was the word. Okay, I follow you, John. I follow you. I get it. The Logos ordered the universe. Now here's what John is setting up. He's using these words intentionally. He's saying to the Jew and to the Greek something that would have been revolutionary to both of them. He's saying this logos idea, this word, isn't just up there. It's not just this impersonal force of the universe that's distant and disconnected. It is something It is someone who lives among us. The Logos lives with you. Revolutionary idea. Revolutionary idea. It's why John is saying, remember in the beginning, I'm starting, I'm redefining this history by saying, God lives among you revolutionary idea for the for the jews it might have sounded kind of blasphemous for the greeks it would have sounded almost like a silly idea like why would the god of the universe want to be among us because he was an impersonal an impersonal being 
So that's the, the first thing there under this idea that Jesus is eternal in that first phrase. Keep reading there in John 1, 1, 1b to 2. It says, The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He was in the beginning with God. So, so I'm going to go, go this slowly about this part because it's a little bit complicated, but it's a really cool concept that's a part of this God being with us thing. I'm going to repeat this if you're taking notes. I'll say it twice. This is uh, a quote that I found about this idea of interactive, <laughs> interactive reciprocity. Let's put it up there so you can spell it. This expression here in John 1, 1 and 2 John 1, 1 and 2 should not be read as merely implying that the Word was just sort of in the presence of God. It's like, here's God the Father and and God the Son is just kind of like around Him, like in the presence of it. It's not that. It's that there existed an interactive reciprocity between the Word and God. Christ is God. God is Christ. They are together in perfect harmony and relationship in a way that means if you've, you've talked with one, you've talked with the other. You've had a relationship with one, you've had a relationship with the other. It's like 1 over X equals X over 1 for the math people. It's that kind of relationship of togetherness. It's sort of like if you've messed with one, you've messed with another. I, I don't know if any of you have experienced this with any of your kids. But if your kid like goes off to daycare or goes off to school and, and comes back uh, crying about some bully at school who, who did something to your kid, I mean, that just brings up something. And you're like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk right into that classroom and I'm going to, you know, it brings something up. And if you've messed with my kid, you've messed with me. It's that kind of one-to-one relationship. If you've ever been on a sports team or something like that and, it could be the end of the game and, and, and somebody flagrantly fouls somebody on your team. The guys in the bench and the, and, and the people in, in the stands who are a part of that team, they get up and they're like, let's, let's go at it. I mean, they're like, I'm, you've messed with that person, you've messed with me. That's that kind of unity of purpose and, and feeling like a family that is akin to this interactive uh, reciprocity. So now you can have conversations about the sermon over lunch. What did you learn? I learned about interactive reciprocity. You can have those fun conversations. The Son and the Father have that kind of relationship with one another. So John has thus far established two things. Number one, Jesus is eternal. Number two, that there is this interactive relationship You've seen God the Son, you've seen God the Father. There are other texts that talk about that, and we'll talk about those as well. Look at verse 3 with me for just a moment here. It says this in verse 3. All things, this is still talking about Jesus here, about the Word. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that has been made. This is the truth that Jesus was not just present in, but also participated in creation. He also participated in creation. We see that truth here in John 1, 1 to 3. Just listen to how this reads in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, 
and without him was not anything made that was made. I want to show you from two other passages. I want you to look these up with me. Uh, Genesis 1.26. Genesis 1.26 and Colossians 1.15. We'll give you time to look them up. Genesis 1.26 and Colossians 1.15. We do want to practice having noses in Bibles and actually having to turn there instead of just depending on screens because we live in a world where people don't even know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are Gospels and can't look up things. So we want to practice Colossians 1.15 and Genesis 1.26. Look at Genesis 1.26. It says this, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. I want you to notice the plurals in just that phrase there. Let us, that's the first one, make man in our image. That's the second one. After our likeness. That's the third time. This is the, the crowning achievement of God's creation. This is the, the longest part of uh, His creation that we have as an account in Scripture. And it says three times in these plurals, uses the word us, our, and our. Because this is God speaking with Himself. This is God speaking to and with Himself as he's creating, and this passage here taken with the rest of Scripture helps verify that the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, were all involved, all engaged in creation. You think I'm making this up that Jesus is present in creation. This is not crazy talk. It's all over Scripture. Let me show you Colossians 1.15 as a great example of it. This is probably the best example. Colossians 1.15 that demonstrates Christ as present at creation. Colossians 1.15, it says, He, meaning Jesus, this is talking about Jesus, He is the image, the likeness of the invisible God. He's a perfect image of the invisible God, unlike us. We are imperfect. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, it says He's firstborn over all creation. Now, but wait, <laughs> you might think as you're reading this. I thought you said He was eternal. He is not created he was, he's an eternal being. Well, follow along. Look at that phrase there where it says he's firstborn of all creation in verse 15. It would be true that he would be a created being if he was the first one born, if that's what Paul was saying. But that's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying isn't about biology. He is pointing out that Jesus, not that he is the first son born, but that he is a firstborn son. That he comes with all the rights and privileges of a firstborn son who inherits everything from the father. So that's what this is saying here. It's not that he's the first son born, it's that he's the firstborn son. The rest of the passage here, look at 16 and 17, these two verses. The rest of this passage proves that. Those next two verses say, For by him, this is about Jesus, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. In other words, for his purposes and glory. And he is before all things. He existed before all things. And in him all things hold together. All things are sustained. Your very breath now is sustained by the existence of Jesus Christ. So listen, friends, number one, if Christ is eternal, 
Number two, if Jesus is the full image and perfect relationship with God, if there's that interactive relationship. And number three, if he's participated in creating us after his own image. What that means is that when God comes to be with us, it is an inherently missional act. God to be with us is itself an act of mission and of humility and of sacrifice. The entire act of God coming in the flesh of Jesus to know us, to make Himself known to us, is by itself inherently an act of mission. Which means that the Gospel of God with us, God descending to helpless and sinful people like us, is the model for our existence as human beings. His initiative to be with us when He could have justifiably existed for the rest of eternity apart from us is what defines who you are as a human being created to reflect Him. I want you to turn to Colossians 2.6. It comes on the heels of the passage we just read. Cool little verse, just that first phrase. God is calling us to live Colossians 2.6 lives, to be modeled after Him being with us. It says, therefore, in other words, for all these reasons we've just talked about in the rest of this sermon, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. In other words, if God can be with us, we can be with others. Which means that this gospel of God with us does not allow us to comfortably sit for an hour in a pew on Sunday and feel like we have therefore fulfilled God's call and purpose for our lives. Mm -mm. No. It is the other 24 hours, 7 days a week of your life that will demonstrate whether you are a with or an apart kind of believer. If the model for us is Jesus Christ, we have no other option but to model our own lives as self-sacrifice. Kill your purposes and goals about this world. Let them go out the window trash them all, put them on the trash heap. If they keep you from the self-sacrifice that demonstrates God with us life, they are a waste anyway. The great thing about following Jesus is this isn't, this isn't a calling that He just leaves us to. I mean, we said He's a God with us God, right? I mean, he, he's, a, he's a with us to be among us kind of God because of the person of Jesus. He didn't just say, I want you to go do this 
And good luck with that. He demonstrates it. He demonstrates it in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what God with us means. I came across an article that was written in the Christian Standard magazine many years ago. Written by a man named Matt Proctor, who was a college president and preacher. And he talks about this concept of incarnation, of, of Emmanuel, of God with us. And he tells a couple stories about what it's like to be a dad with little boys. He has a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And he says that uh, oftentimes his three-year-old will come up, and if he's wearing a, a blue T-shirt and, and jeans, his three-year-old will come up and say, Hey, Daddy, Daddy, shirt and jeans. And, and he'll have to go and, and he'll put on a blue T-shirt and jeans. And when Dad emerges with the blue T-shirt and jeans, then, uh, then his son goes, See, same, same, same. That same little three-year-old, they'll be wrestling in the living room or, or playing football together. And, <clears throat> of course, the three-year-old's way down here. And, and so he says, Daddy, get on your knees, get on your knees. So he'll get on his knees. And then they are, are eye level and they play together. And at that point, his, his little son says, See, same, same. His older son, Carl, is five years old. And he came in one day. And he had scraped his knee, and, uh, and Dad had, had done the same thing. And, and he came and said, look, look, Dad, same. I know that in those times of pain and, and grief and sorrow, for us, it can, it can be easy to feel like my world is an apart world from, from everybody else. Everybody else. It can be easy to feel like my, I'm, apart, I'm apart from God. I mean, I'm... Friends, we worship a God who came down to eye level, who has experienced what we've experienced, who felt what we feel, who knows what it's like to be unjustly accused, to be mocked, knows what it's like to be cheated against, knows what it's like to experience physical pain. So in your pain, you may be tempted to say, God, you have, you have no idea what I'm going through. It's tempting to go to that place and to sort of stay there. But friends, we worship a God who can say with us because He's proved it in the person of His Son, Jesus. He can say with us, same, same. We worship a God who came to know us, who came to be with us. He could have stayed apart from us, justifiably enjoying perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But He made us and created us, risked a relationship with us. Friends, let us, let us endeavor together to become people who reflect God's with life for us.
so that we would enter into the fray. So that we'd stick with the process. So in the middle of parts that hurt and that are painful, we know that God's redeeming work for us equips us to be with others. For the sake of God's goodness and glory being made known, Let's pray together.